All right, so Matthew chapter 15. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honour your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, Whatever help you might otherwise have received from me as a gift devoted to God, he is not to honour his father with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean, but what comes out of his mouth, that is what makes him unclean. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them, they are blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, Explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull, Jesus asked them, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and these make a man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what make a man unclean, but eating with unwashed hands does not make him unclean. All right. We're cooking with gas now. It's been quite a week for the Orems. Lara slipped a disc in her back on Monday. And um, yeah, by Wednesday, I've never seen, uh, three more times I've seen her in more pain. And that was when she gave birth, three times. Um, so it's been a challenging week for the Orems. She's doing better now and she's going to get some more Cairo soon and, and she'll be okay. Um, but yeah, I've had kind of one of those mornings, you know. And I left my sermon on the printer at home and then went back home to get it in Dean's car. I need to realise that Lara had actually grabbed it and messaged me and I didn't see the message. And so anyway, so I've got my sermon and the first page and a half didn't print of my sermon. But I've got it on my phone, so (laughs) it's just one of those mornings and that's okay. And you know what? I have always desired for our church to be a place where you can come and just... Just be where you're at that day, you know? You don't have to be... Obviously, we're not going to kind of let it all hang out when we come to church, but just if you're having a bad day, then that's okay. And if you're a bit sad, then that's all right. Still come along to church, be with your family, and be a bit sad, or be a bit down, or be a bit frustrated. Um, I'm not frustrated. It was just kind of funny. And it's just going to be a bit weird for the first two pages of my sermon. And that's okay. That's okay. We're a church family. Let me pray. Loving Father and Almighty God, we thank you so much uh, for Matthew's Gospel. We thank you that we have an accurate account of who Jesus is and what he did that has come from you through your people so that we can, we can know how to be saved uh, through faith in him and we can know how to live through trying to live the way he did. And Lord, we see this morning um, a real challenge to Jesus' authority and we pray um, that you'll help us to test our own hearts this morning. Do we, do we challenge your authority in the same way 
Um, do we have the heart for you that Jesus has? If not, change us, God, we pray by your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. I've got two basic goals uh, whenever I preach a sermon. And the first is to teach God's word truthfully and faithfully, you'll be pleased to know. And if you've been around a while, hopefully uh, that's been your experience. I have all sorts of thoughts and ideas about the world, but that's not as anywhere near as important as what God thinks. And so I try to teach the Bible faithfully. The second thing that I try to do is I try to do what I can I forgot to send five to eight out. Five to eight. You're going out. <laughs> they're gone. Good. Okay. I saw the boys at the back, but they're in year nine now. Uh, the second thing I try to do is try to help you remember God's word as you sit here and listen to a monologue uh, for 25 minutes uh, this morning. I try to use memory hooks. I try to use visuals. I try to use uh, good grammar and alliteration and things like that. And why am I telling you this, you may ask? Well, this morning, to try to help us remember God's word... I'm going to show you part of a short video, and this is a kid's song that my niece grew up and she really, really loved. Um, it might feel like an insult to your intelligence as you watch this video. It's so kind of childish, but it's going to serve us all well, because it's going to help us remember God's word. And it's going to serve your buddy at work, Mike, or your friend at work, Michelle, tomorrow, when they ask you at the coffee machine, what did you learn in church yesterday? Who's ever had that experience? Like, wouldn't that be nice if your friends at work said, what did you learn? You have, that's great, okay. So tomorrow you're going to remember the sermon, well, the God's word, just because of this video. Are you ready? Here we go. straight away and play it for your kids. It's going to be in your head for the next five weeks. Um, and I stopped it there on purpose, obviously. Don't want to be a Pharisee. 
Last week we learned that Jesus is starting to move from kind of Jewish territory into Gentile territory and he's starting to head towards the cross and the opposition to him is starting to increase and he's gaining in popularity, he's gaining in perceived power and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, don't like it. Why? Because they're not fair, you see, right? That's why. Last week, Jesus miraculously fed 5,000 men and their families from a small handful of bread and fish. He walked on water and he caused Peter to walk on water as well. This week, we see the Pharisees have made quite a journey from Jerusalem to get up in Jesus' face and accuse his disciples of breaking God's law. Well, they accuse his disciples of breaking their traditions and they don't like it. They really don't understand who they're face-to-face with, do they? They're face-to-face with Jesus, the creator and sustainer of the world. They're face-to-face with the one who's going to enable them to have their next heartbeat. They're face-to-face with the one who's actually maintaining the oxygen content in the air as they speak so they can take their next breath. That's who they're face-to-face with, but they don't see it. They don't understand. Look again at verse 1 with me. Verse 1. Some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem. They asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. They've travelled quite a way to see him. Clearly Jesus is gaining a reputation for himself that they're not comfortable with. And so they've headed out all the way from Jerusalem to criticise Jesus because his disciples aren't washing their hands properly before they eat. Sounds trivial, doesn't it? Having said that, we're all very good at washing our hands these days, aren't we? We've had education over the last three years about how to wash your hands properly and sing happy birthday twice while you wash your hands and that's about the right amount of time. Anyone hear that one? I heard that one. Sing happy birthday twice, not too fast. That's the amount of time you should wash your hands for. According to Jewish ceremonial law, as spelled out in Exodus chapter 30, the priests had to wash their hands and feet to remove ceremonial uncleanness before they ministered to the people. But that was just just a command for the priests. The The Jewish, the Pharisees, the Jewish traditions have then taken this law to the priests and they've exploded it out to now include every single Israelite before every meal. And they're furious that a supposed teacher of the law, supposedly a good one, Jesus, is not following this tradition that's been (coughs) handed down for centuries uh, through, through the Pharisaical teaching. Now the problem they've got is that Jesus follows the word of God, not the word of man. Look at verse 3. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God? Not a tradition, the command of God for the sake of your tradition. For God said, honour your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they're not to honour their father or mother with it. If you're confused about what that just said, I was, uh, very much so. If you got it first time, well done to you. The fifth commandment given to God's people was to honour your father and mother and that, can, that included providing for them in their old age. And I, I have great respect for
for CMS missionaries who leave the mission field, who come back home to care for their parents. They come back home to honour their father and mother in their old age. The Pharisees had created a tradition that said, it's okay to neglect your parents in their old age if the money is being devoted to God, whatever that means. I don't know. It was, it was in their tradition. So they created a tradition that directly opposed the law of God. That what, that's what was going on. And Jesus is calling them out on it. He said, hang on a minute. You've created this tradition that is completely in, contrary to the law of God. So verse 6, Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. And it's this totally different attitude to worship that separates the Pharisees from Jesus. The Pharisees believed in God. They believed that God created the world. They believed that God was good and had blessed them. <coughs> the problem is that they had then, they'd then gone on and set themselves up as functional saviours rather than continuing to trust in God. You've done a great job thus far, God. Thank you so much for creating all the world and all that kind of stuff, for creating us. We'll take it from here. And we'll depend on our abidance of our traditions and our made-up rules to save us from here on. They had no heart for God, no love for God. They didn't need God anymore. They didn't particularly want God anymore. They had things in hand now and they were going forward with it, trusting in their own abilities. But for Jesus, worship means love for God. It means submission to him. It means loving obedience to his word and to his son. <clears throat> for Jesus, worship results in an ongoing, daily, intimate relationship with God, whom they called, who Jesus called Abba, Father, Daddy. Worship certainly doesn't mean the time in the church service when you sing the songs. That's the worship time. Um, worship is all of life. Worship is 24-7 loving devotion to God. For the Pharisees, they thought it was possible to honour God if you properly rendered the services to him and, and, and did the things. That was how you honoured God. You didn't really need to have a heart for him, just do the things. That was how you honour God. But Jesus is saying, no. It's impossible to honour God unless your heart is turned towards him. True disciples of Jesus love Jesus. They love him. True disciples trust Jesus. They long to follow Jesus wherever he might lead them, which isn't necessarily where they were planning to go. They want to follow Jesus like a dependent sheep. True disciples know they still need Jesus every single day to sustain them, to teach them, to lead them. And true disciples know they don't need to win Jesus' favour by doing good things or by obeying laws. That's not what wins his favour. We have his favour. True disciples obey Jesus out of love for Jesus, out of love for him. It brings joy to them to obey their master 
It delights their master when they obey him. It's a relationship of love, not of law. It's the heart that Jesus sees and it's the heart that Jesus wants. Second point is Jesus is now addresses the crowd. So he was with the crowds, we know that, and the Pharisees have come up and got on his face and now he turns his attention back to the crowds with the Pharisees obviously still hanging around. And Jesus basically teaches the same thing three times to these three different groups to the Pharisees, to the crowds, and to the disciples. He kind of teaches the same three things, and it's something that we need to hear today uh, very much. The Pharisees have confronted Jesus. Jesus is with the crowds. The crowds, probably the same crowds that he miraculously fed the day before. I'd be keen to see more. And it's kind of like your classic schoolyard punch-up, right? We used to have a few of those back at Penrith High School in the day. The brawl breaks out and then everybody kind of comes running and to see what's happening. And that's what's happening. The crowds are kind of surrounding Jesus and the Pharisees. They're all there listening in, trying to stay kind of out of the crossfire. <clears throat> and Jesus then turns to the crowds to address them in verse 10. Jesus called the crowd to him, come closer, and said, Listen and understand, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Now try to wrap your head around what's happening here, friends. The Pharisees have been the religious authority of the land for hundreds of years, hundreds of years, 400 plus years. Australia was settled by colonists 240 years ago or something like that. Twice as long as that at least. The Pharisees have been doing their thing, teaching their made-up traditions, distorting the word of God. And so this is, the, this is the teaching that people have been sitting under for centuries. And the Pharisees have had this power for centuries. And Jesus comes into their midst, and he doesn't look particularly impressive. He comes into their midst and he declares to the crowd, what the Pharisees are teaching you is rubbish. And it has been for centuries. It started out great with God and Abraham thousands of years ago, but over the years they've twisted it and distorted it and made it into what it is today, and it's rubbish. What you do on the outside, what you eat, how you wash your hands, that's not what defiles you. I can tell what is going on in your heart by what's coming out, what you say is what defiles you. You can be the best church attender, growth group contributor, Bible reader, church planter in the world. But if there's not love for God in here, you're not a child of God. You can be doing all the things, but not have the love for Jesus in your heart. You may have been going to church for decades but not have a living, active love for Jesus, a desire to know him more and more and more each day, an excitement about the day you get to meet him face to face. The very, very, very best thing about being in heaven is not going to be our comforts, it's not going to be the ease or the whatever that we get. We get to be with Jesus in person forever. That's the greatest thing about being a Christian. 
It's what comes out of their mouths. It's telling in our actions if Jesus is in our hearts or not. Now, don't get me wrong, the child of God loves church and loves growth group. Please keep going to church and growth group. But these aren't a means to salvation. Doing all the things isn't how you get saved. It's not how you get in right relationship with God. It's through faith in Jesus. It's coming and humbly sitting before him that we become right with God, that we grow our love for him. And because we love God, we go to church and growth group and do all the things. We all need the inner purification that only comes from faith in Jesus, the one who died for us. It's an act of the Holy Spirit that our hearts are cleansed. We can't cleanse our hearts by washing our hands the right way or eating the right food at the right times. It's only an act of the Holy Spirit cleansing our hearts, blessing us with a love for God and a desire to follow his son. This is what he's saying to the crowds. Thirdly, he turns to the disciples. The disciples approach Jesus and they seem to make a ridiculous statement as we read it with our kind of 21st century language kind of happening. The disciples come to Jesus, they say, do you know the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? It seems like, duh, of course he knows. Um, I don't think that's what they're quite saying. I don't think they're saying, oh, Jesus, did you know that you just offended the Pharisees? Yes, guys. I did know that. I don't think that's happening. Um, What I think is happening is the Pharisees have been so confronted by Jesus that they've kind of gone away from him and then they've had a whinge to the disciples on their kind of way out about Jesus. They've complained to the disciples and so the disciples have just sort of reported back to Jesus. The Pharisees are really upset about this, uh, these things that you've just said. And Jesus knew that would be the result, and he's not surprised at all. Verse 13, he replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them, they're blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. The Pharisees are false teachers. They're not teaching the Bible faithfully. They don't have a heart for God, and Jesus is saying, Don't listen to them. Stop listening to them. Avoid them at all costs. They're blind. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know where they're going. They don't know what they're saying. And if you follow them, you too will just fall into the same pit that they're headed towards. False teachers are still everywhere. (laughs) And their teaching will always fail. It will always be found out and come to ruin. I'm desperate for you all to have your Bibles open every week to make sure you're testing what I say against God's Word. I do my level best to teach the Bible faithfully in its truth, but I'm still just a man and a sinful one at that. We need to be testing what we're listening to all the time against God's Word. As you listen to podcasts, as you listen to music, is it faithful to God's Word? Or is it false teaching? The Pharisees think they know what they're doing. They're genuine. But they're blinded. They don't know what they're doing. And anyone who follows them is going to suffer the same fate that they do. I think one of the best ways to spot false teaching is the claims they make for God and people. Do they make much of people and little of God? 
Or do they make much of God and little of people? How much faith is the teacher's ability in people to save themselves? The Pharisees were saying that you need to do this, you need to clean your hands this way and and not work on this day at all and not even turn on a light switch these days on the Sabbath. You need to do this and you need to do that. You need to do all these things in order to be saved. That's false teaching. That's making much of man. Man needs to do all these things. He wants to be saved. And God isn't doing much at all. That's the Pharisee teaching. True teaching makes much of God and much of Jesus and much of the work of the Holy Spirit and very little about man's ability to save themselves, which is nothing. So test anything you're listening to against the Bible. And that's a bit of a litmus test. Are they making much of God and little of us? Or is it tilting the other way? All the great world religions depend on human law abidance for salvation. All of them. But this isn't a world religion. This is Christianity. The Bible teaches Christ alone in order to be saved. God chooses and God saves. Ephesians 2 teaches it's by grace that we're saved. This is a gift of God so that no one can boast. Even the faith is a gift. Human beings are what the famous theologian John Calvin, who Adam's getting to know very well as he reads his institutes over these four years. I recommend them to you all, but they're long. Um, John Calvin describes us as totally depraved. Human beings are totally depraved. By nature, we're sinful to the core and this sin permeates every fibre of our being. And left to our own devices, our natural inclination is towards wickedness and sin. Left to our own devices, we'll never, ever have a heart for God or put our trust in Jesus. It takes divine intervention in order for us to be saved. Romans 3 says, There is no one righteous, not even one, no one who understands No one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Anyone that teaches that human beings are basically good, but they've just gone a little bit astray and they need Jesus to bring us back onto the right path is false teaching. We're totally depraved. Anyone who teaches that God offers us forgiveness and then we need to go and accept it is is false teaching. Even our faith is a gift from God. We're totally dependent on Jesus, like a helpless sheep. If it feels like I'm laboring the point, I am. Because we get this, we still get this wrong. We still think there's something that we need to do to contribute to our salvation. And because of that, we miss out on the joy, the freedom of being totally saved by Jesus. Living for him just simply out of joy and exhilaration of being one of his precious children. It's a joy that we contribute nothing to our own salvation. Because we can have absolute confidence in our salvation because of our absolute confidence in Christ. And this is the difference between the disciples and the crowds that you're going to see in the Gospels. 
the disciples kind of lean in and say, I don't get it, but please explain it to me. And that's what Christians do. The crowds go, oh, this is stupid, I'm out of here. Got a good feed, awesome, I don't get it, I'm going. The disciples lean in, they want to understand, they might be confused, they might have doubts, they do throughout the whole Bible, all the way through. Even when Jesus is just about to be put on the cross, Peter denies him three times. The disciples have doubts, they have questions, they have confusion, but they, they lean in and they want to know more. Explain it to us, please. Verse 16, are you still so dull? Which means not, are you stupid or something? It means, are you still not understanding? I think it would be like, if I tried to explain something to someone, they didn't get it, and I said, do you get that? No, oh, okay, let me explain it again. That's what's happening. Do you get it? You don't get it. Oh, okay, well, let me explain it again, says Jesus. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then it comes back out of the body. But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. And these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. Eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. The Pharisees are false teachers. Our issue, friends, is internal. It's a heart issue. It's not about what we do. It's a heart issue. And the sins that come out of our hearts testify to our heart issue. In our minds and hearts, we want to rule. We want to be king. We want to know that we've contributed to our salvation in just a little bit. Our pride does that. We make an idol of ourselves. I'm pretty good. I do most things right. I pay my taxes. Surely I can. I bring something to the table, God. No, you don't. And that's great. God loves you still. In this sense, in terms of our salvation, <coughs> we want to be like helpless, stupid sheep. The learned Pharisees, they're the ones who, they want the power and the control. But we need to be like helpless sheep, totally dependent on Jesus for salvation. You can take the path of control yourself if you want, like the Pharisees, but it'll lead you to a pit, not to relationship with God. So what does this mean for us today? We want to be sheep. Da, 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 da. It's great to be sheep. In this respect, sheep are dependent. Sheep know that they don't know best and they listen to their shepherd's voice and they just follow him because they know he'll take care of them and they know he'll lead them to green pastures and they know they don't know where to find them. So they follow their shepherd. They trust their shepherd. They love their shepherd and their shepherd loves them. That's why I love that. First century image of the sheep and he, the shepherd and his sheep with like eight, not the shepherd with 30,000 sheep these days in a helicopter, but you know, the intimate relationship between the shepherd and his sheep. What does it mean for you as you go back to work tomorrow or as you go back to being a full-time mum, caring for little ones, or as you go back to retirement life? What's it mean for you to think like and act like a sheep? 
What's the consequences? What's the implications for you to think like and act like a sheep with a total dependence? Not challenging Jesus' authority and teaching, but submitting and depending. Our culture is increasingly complicated and challenging and I think demanding on us all and I think in particular young mums. Our culture expects young mums to be super wives and super mums and super career focused and all the while super fit. And this is a culture that's rife with domestic violence and doesn't feel safe. And I think it's, it's challenging, stressful for young mums in our culture. And I want to say now that I've mentioned domestic violence... If you don't feel safe at home for any reason, any of you, please ask for help. Please speak to me. Please speak to Carol. You can trust us. We will believe you. And we will help you. There is help available and you don't need to tolerate it if you feel like you're being abused at home. It's hard for women in our culture and I don't think the outlook is much better for men Men are being stereotyped as stupid, footy-watching, beer-drinking. Sorry, it's Canadian Club now, right? It says all the commercials. Uh, morons. We're likened to Homer Simpson and the Family Guy. That's been the two heroes of our last two decades, hasn't it? Homer Simpson and the Family Guy. Idiots. Useless husbands, useless fathers. And that's the portrayal of men. Now be a Christian man or woman in the world and the battle quadruples because our culture doesn't want to know Jesus. Everyone has a voice in our culture except Christians. You need to pipe down and just stay in the corner. Everyone is equal in our culture, has equal rights, but not the Christians. Don't you talk. You stay quiet. We don't want to hear what you've got to say. So the pressure increases for the Christian in the workplace, at school drop-off, Maybe you're on some volunteer committees where the wowsers, the do-gooders, worse today, where the haters. Christians are the ones that hate everyone. At least that seems to be what our culture thinks when the opposite is actually true. Christians are the ones that love, that welcome, that care. <clears throat> so what do we do when our culture is difficult and against us and when life is really hard, well, we just try harder, right? We double our efforts, pull up our socks, do better. No, what's, what, I think that's what we try to do. I think that's the, that's the Pharisee way. Do better. Clean your hands better. Clean your hands for longer. Clean your hands again. You can still see a... But we're not Pharisees. We're Christians. We're in Christ. We're his precious, blessed sheep. Standing face to face with Jesus, and Jesus said to the disciples, Go and feed all these thousands of people. And they went, Why are we going to do that? Where are we going to? Where's, is there a shop open? Where's the Woolies around here? Jesus is right there, standing in front of them. All they had to do was say, We can't do that. We need you to help us. And he would have, and he did. Friends, as you head to work tomorrow, to the school drop off, to meet with friends, as you spend a day at home caring for children, the most important job in the world. Remember who you are. You're a child of God, loved by Christ, 
who died for you and be filled with peace and be filled with confidence. You're a precious child of God and you don't need to win his favour. There might be lots of people whose favour you're trying to win. You don't need to win his favour. Humbly submit before him and just enjoy his precious care of you and protection of you. That's what he wants. He wants our hearts. When he has our hearts, he blesses richly and in abundance. He cares for you. You don't need to win his favour. He loves you. Submission to Jesus. In, in submitting to him, you'll find a bedrock for your whole life, for your parenting, for your marriage, as you go out into the workforce and it's hard and it's challenging, as you live in this culture, which is just increasingly difficult, that you'll have this bedrock for your life. If you know who you are, if you submit your life to him and know how safe you are in him, he will bring you peace. He will bring you confidence. He will bring you contentment. You don't need to go after the next device or the next holiday or the next thing to make you happy. You have everything in Christ. We find our deepest joy in humble dependence before Christ, our loving Saviour and Shepherd. Let me pray. Loving Father and Almighty God, we thank you for Jesus, our beloved Shepherd and Saviour, who loves us deeply. Lord, when we're, when we're challenged to think that we need to take control, we need to take the reins of our salvation, please correct us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Remind us that we don't need to do that, that, that you, despite our sin, our depravity, you love us infinitely and deeply and you've proven that through the death of Jesus on the cross. Help us to submit to you. Grow our love for Christ. Grow our love for his love for us. Bless us with peace in the workplace. Bless us with peace in the home because we know how precious we are to you. We know that we're a protected sheep of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.